Wonderful. Well, it's been, it's been well said that if you want to give a rose to someone, is not to cut their nose off. I'll repeat that. So if you want to give a rose to someone, do not cut their nose off. Now, that saying obviously implies that, that when you share something, if you've got something important to share with someone else, that your conduct or the way that you share that something doesn't close them off. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't cut their nose off so they can't smell the aroma of what you're trying to share with them. Now, I wish someone had told me this earlier, earlier in my life. You see, when I was about 18, 19 years of age, I got involved with some church ministry, some outreach ministry. And, and so what we did is we went into the inner city of, a, of the city we stayed in and we just preached the gospel. But at that stage, 18, 19 years of age, newly, you know, newly became a Christian. I, I didn't quite know what to say. You know, where do you start? What do you say? I just know I want to do something for God. And, and so I went on to uh, on, on this, these, these outings with our friends. And yes, what I did, I just Googled, right, as you do. And I started listening to some American preachers. And so what I did is I took their message. I wrote it down. I memorized it and I preached it in our city where we lived. The only issue, though, is that these American preachers, they were, they were somewhat angry American preachers. You see, their context is they were speaking into, into the lives of a, of a kind of a comfortable, lukewarm American type of Christianity, a cultural type of Christianity that they prayed a prayer, but there was no reality of Jesus in their lives. And so these preachers were worked up. They were trying to get the, the people to repent. And so I took this message. I would get onto a wall or wherever we were in the inner city, and I would start preaching at these people. But the issue was I wasn't preaching at comfortable, lukewarm American Christians. I was preaching at poor, sometimes hungry, systemically oppressed African people. Totally different context. And so no wonder there weren't, they weren't, they weren't a lot of results. There were no fruits of that. You see, but I, know, I not only took the words of these preachers, I, I also learned, I picked up the attitudes. You know, and so the way that I presented this message that I wanted to share, this gospel, I wanted, pre wanted to present Jesus and, and have people encounter God. But the way that I did it, not only the message, but also the attitude was wrong. And so I would get up and I would speak and I would, you know, I would, I would start sweating and the veins would pop in my head and just, just a bad attitude, just being angry at the people. And, and these poor people, I mean, they had no idea. They were as far removed from that American context as you could possibly get. Don't you wish sometimes you can go back into the past? Maybe make two cups of coffee, sit yourself down, your younger self, sit yourself down and just speak, you know, just speak to yourself. Give yourself some advice. Well, this would be one, one area specifically. If I could go back in time, firstly, I would go and apologize to those people. And secondly, I would sit myself down and say, Devin, you were trying to give people a rose, but you cut off the nose. You were trying to give them a message that was important, life-giving, the gospel of Jesus, but the way that you did it, you were cutting off the nose. You were closing them off. You never entered into their lives. You never listened to their stories. You never, you never cared about them. And in a sense, this whole, that whole adventure, that, that, that'll outreach the motive behind it, that was actually just using people as a subject or an object for you to fulfill some religious duty or task. You never cared about the people. That's far removed, friends, from what we find Jesus teaching us. And Jesus said this. He says, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and you've got to love the, your neighbor as yourself. Loving people, loving, loving those who don't, 
believe the same things that you believe. And so this morning, that's what we're going to be looking at. Good morning for those who I don't know. My name is Devin, part of the staff team, and I'm just delighted again to be with you this morning as we, as we just finish off our series this morning, um, as we look at the Shema over the last five weeks or so. So the issue this morning is loving our neighbors. And, and so the main question I'm asking is, how do we do that effectively? How can we do that well in the context in which we live? And so I want to invite you this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter's got an interesting answer, one that might, it might surprise you. It might caught you, catch you a little bit off guard. Um, but he gives us an interesting approach to how to love our neighbors well. So I want to invite you, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be reading from verse 8 to verse 17. It says the following. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should, should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Now, important verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And so we look at this text, and I mean, there's a lot there. So I want to get right down to business and ask the question, well, what's the, what's the big idea? What's Peter after you? And I want to submit to you, I think that the, the whole context of this, you know, the whole letter, the first three chapters leading up to this point, the context of this and the meaning of this, the main idea is holiness. Peter is calling the church to be holy. He, he wants them to live lifestyles of holiness. We find this in chapter one. He says this, Peter says, he says, he says, I want you to be holy as the one who called you is holy. And then he, he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, God speaking, he says, be holy for I am holy. You, you find this theme coming through chapter one. Then in chapter two, two different places, he says, but we as the people of God, we are a holy priesthood. We are a holy nation. At a, at, a, at a latter place. And so you find this theme of holiness. And now in chapter three, we find this. It's almost like Peter is saying, you want to know what holiness is all about? This is what you do. This is how you live. This is how you conduct yourself. This is how you speak. It is all about holiness. Now, one might ask this morning, how, how does the concept of holiness answer the question of how can we love our neighbors well? And for that, it's important that we define holiness and that we define it correctly. Now, the word holiness has been defined and correctly so, but it has been called the following. It, has been, it means to be distinct or to be set apart. To be distinct or to be set apart. 
Now, when you, when you, you hear those words, one might think, okay, well, we better isolate ourselves from people. It doesn't sound like it's going to help me love my neighbor if you stop the definition there. But with everything, friends, in all of doctrine, I believe, and I'm convinced of this, that, that the ultimate revelation of God and God's will, at God's will in the world happens through Jesus Christ. In other words, if we want to know how, how all of this doctrine that Paul is teaching, how all of these, this stuff is lived out, we refer to Jesus, the ultimate revelation of God in history. And so when we look at Jesus and we look at this, this definition of holiness, I mean, he, he was the perfect example of perfect holiness, was he not? And so you look at his life and you say, okay, how was Jesus distinct? How was Jesus set apart? And I want to submit to you the following. This would be my definition by looking at the life of Jesus. It's by saying three things. Holiness means that we, as a people of God, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Secondly, we are for the world, but not agreeing with the world. And thirdly, we are with the world, but not like the world. Jesus is our example in this, friends. You, you, knew, you Just take the first one. Jesus was in the world, but not of the world. And what I mean by that is from the start, you could see he knew that he, he represented the kingdom of God. He came and he inaugurated the kingdom of God. That, is, that was what he, what he was all about. Just the fruit of his life. As Jesus spoke, his conduct, everything about him, his demeanor, everything spoke of the kingdom of God. You could taste it, you could smell it, you could hear it, you could see it. He was, he was not of this kingdom. He was, he was not of the, the kingdoms of this world. But he was of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world. They were, they were looking for a, a powerful, a popular, a militant type of Messiah to come and free the Jews from the, the oppressive power of the Romans. And yet Jesus comes as the foot-washing Messiah. The crucified Christ, the one who came to serve and not be served. He came representing a different kingdom, the kingdom of his father. He was in the world, but not of the world. You look at Jesus' life, you see he was not only in the world, but he was also for the world. He was also for the world. How he loved the people. My mind automatically goes back as I pondered this point to, to that scene. Remember that scene where Jesus just wept over Jerusalem? You see, he wept over Jerusalem and, and he said, I want as a, as a hen, as a chicken, a hen just protects her chicks under his, uh, her wings. He wants to do the same with the people in Jerusalem. That whole picture, I mean, that was obviously a, a, a farming metaphor. And what would happen is, is if there was a fire, like on a farm, very often the hen would protect the chicks under her wings and the fire would scorch the hen, but some of the chicks would survive. And that's what he was saying. He knew what was coming because of the unrepentant hearts. He wanted to just protect his people. He cared for them. He loved them. He was for them and not against them. I mean, he demonstrated this. He went to great lengths and great extents to explain to them the kingdom of God. He made every effort. He demonstrated this by signs and miracles and wonders, touching, touching their people, healing the blind, touching deaf ears, making mute speak and raising the dead. He revealed this. He showed this. You could see the love just permeate from his career, from his ministry. You could even see it in the way that he warned the people. He knew what was coming. These people were bent. They had a type of, of militant, violent, revolutionary type of plan in place where they wanted to overthrow Rome. But he knew this was not the father's will to do it in such a way. That was, that was, 
That was the agenda of a different type of kingdom than the, than the, than the father's kingdom. And so he warned them, saying to them, listen, if you do this, what's going to happen is you're going to get destroyed. God's going to use the Romans the same way that he used the Babylonians and the Persians before to bring judgment upon you. Therefore, repent. Be quick to repent. You could just see he was for the people. That whole scene in the temple that cost him his life, that was just to warn them of the coming destruction that would come if they did not repent of this agenda, which, of course, happened in 70 AD. You see that Jesus was not only in the world and for the world, but he was also with the world. He went where the people were. To reach the Jews, his fellow Jews, he went into the synagogues and then he teached. He went to the, where the fishermen were. He, he, he stood on those smelly docks, as we saw a few weeks ago, just engaging with the fishermen. He met the women at the well. He met those along the way. Wherever the people were, that's where you would find Jesus. He was with the people. And so this morning, our definition of holiness needs to be extended beyond just being distinct and set apart. What it means, it means we are in the world, but not of the world. It means that we are for the world, although not always agreeing with the world. And it means that we are with the world, but not like them. And so this morning, I want to use this definition, this framework, and I'll go back to our text and see what we can learn from that. The first distinction or the first mark of holiness, it means that we are in the world, but not of the world. Now, what this means, friend, it means that, that our lives as well, it needs to permeate off the, the, just the, the aroma of the kingdom of God. I spoke about that rose earlier. Our lives, our conduct, our speech, how we present ourselves, what we do in this world, it needs to shout, it needs to smell and look and taste like the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of this world. Look at verse 8 and verse 9. He says, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. No, be different. You're of a different kingdom. You're of your father's kingdom. So on the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Have your, have your speech seasoned with salt. Seek and pursue peace. It's quite clear what, what Peter is after. He's saying to, to us, as Southside, us as the church, he is saying that you are not of the world, but you are in the world. And so, Jesus made the same distinction. He said in John chapter 17, remember that, that high priestly prayer that he prayed for us? He prayed this, he says, Father, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for it. Because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. But then he continues and he says this, Father, I pray that you don't, you don't take them out of the world. You keep them in the world, but you'll protect them from the evil one. We just see this, friends. We are, we are not of this world, but we are in the world. And the reason we are in the world is because this is the arena through which the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. God is restoring all things. And he is using me and he is using you to do that. He wants us to smell like it, to taste, to, to look like it, to sound like it. The kingdom of God, the reign of God breaking into this world. We are to be a different type of people. And that's going to affect our love for our neighbors, which we'll get to a little bit later. Inti writes it the following. He says, just looking at the career of Jesus, especially the resurrection of Jesus. He says, that was the launching of a new world order. A new reality within space and time called the kingdom of God. But Jesus continues to do his work. Jesus continues to... To, to have the kingdom of God break through into this world. To go from strength to strength. But he does it through his people. Me 
and you. And he's calling us, friends, to, to look like it, to smell like it, in the way that we conduct ourselves and in our speech. But then we continue on from there. So holiness not only means that we are not of the world and in the world, but it also means that we are for the world, although we don't always agree with the world. When I speak about being for the world, we are talking about you are caring about the people. Just think back to Jesus, that picture of the hen with the chicks. He cared about the people. And we in a similar way. To be holy, it means that we are caring. We are loving the people around us. We are loving and caring for our neighbors. Verse 11, verse 13, verse 15. I just picked out some words. He says, seek peace. I, just, I put the phrase with neighbors in here just so it, so, so it would hit home a bit more. Seek peace with neighbors. Be eager to do good to neighbors. Do what is right to neighbors. Be prepared to share the good news of Jesus with neighbors. Be gentle and respectful towards neighbors. You get the idea, friends. You get the just of it. He is saying, listen, in your relationships, in your, in your relation to people around you, whether they serve God or not, you are to be for your neighbors. What does that mean? Well, it means that I'm... I'm in their corner. I'm supporting them. I am for, I'm saying go with my pom-poms. You know, I, I'm, I'm shouting and I'm cheering them on. I want them to flourish. I'm concerned for their welfare. And so I show that to them. I show that, to, I show that I care about them. Mother Teresa, she made this famous quote on this topic. She said the following, someone asked her, how do you do this? How do you do this? And she said that she she said, you do it through ordinary tasks done with extraordinary love. Demonstrating you're being for the world or being for your neighbors. It doesn't need to be this massive, new, expensive thing. You don't need to buy them a car. That would be nice. It means you're doing ordinary stuff, but you're doing it with extraordinary love. You are showing that you are doing these things because you are caring for them. But it extends. If, you look, if I think about Jesus, it extends beyond just, just showing that I love and, and that I care. It actually involves sharing a message about God with our, with our neighbors and with the world. Jesus went to great lengths to explain the kingdom of God. Yes, he demonstrated it, but he also explained it. And in a similar way, friends, we are called to do the same. If we truly believe as Christians, and that's, I mean, this is just at the heart of Christianity, that the chief end of man, in other words, the main purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Then we will conclude that, that the main ingredient, the main foundation of human flourishing, in other words, for our welfare, is relationship with God. And if that is true, and we truly are for our neighbors, we have to, how can we not share God with our neighbors? If that is where, where flourishing lies, if that is where welfare lies in terms of the joy and peace in, and purpose in this world, in, in relationship with God, then surely we've got to share the story of God with the people around. Surely that is part of loving the people around us and being for them. I just love what, what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You could just see there was this intentionality about him. He says this, I become all things to all men in order that I might save some. I think about Amazon. You know, secular companies go to great extents to deliver a, an exceptional service, something that is, 
just extraordinary. And so Amazon would be one of those companies. So they go through all of the research and to great lengths to, to deliver your package quicker to your front door. And so they've, so, so they've had these subcontractors, different ones. They've had UPS and they've had FedEx. They've, they've you know, looked into having drones come and deliver your package to you. They've experimented in certain places in the US with taxi drivers, constantly thinking, it, how can they, through innovation, how can they deliver your package to you quicker, faster, and deliver a better service? Friends, that's what I see in Paul. Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying, listen, I'm becoming all things to all men in order that, I'm, in order that I might save some. And what we are carrying is something a lot more, a lot more worth a lot more worth than an Amazon package. We need to be thinking, how can I share the good news of, of Jesus, the story of God in history? How can I share this story with my neighbors? How, let's, let's think about those things and be intentional about it. One more thing I would say in terms of being for the world is the following. It's not only that I show that I care, it's not only that I share the, the good news and the story of Jesus, but it's also that I, that I share the truth. I share the truth. It's perhaps just, you know, just a different side of the same, same coin, but I, I'm, I'm willing to be truthful with my neighbors. Second Timothy 2, Paul writes this, he says, with unbelievers, he says, we must gently instruct them in the hope that God might grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. I was reminded this week of an interesting story. I'm from Africa, as you know, so I'm allowed to tell this story. But in 2009 in Nigeria, so what happened there is a car got stolen. A guy ran off with a car and the police chased him. Eventually, the police chased the guy down. He stopped the car and he ran into the field. But when they got to the car, there was a goat in the car. And the story goes, I mean, this, is, I mean, this really happened. The police thought to themselves, so they were a pretty superstitious bunch. They thought to themselves, this must be one of the robbers that turned himself into a goat. And I kid you not, they arrested the goat. They took him to jail. I don't know how long he stayed there, but friends, I'm hoping at some stage someone told these police officers, for the sake of their own sanity and for the sake of the goat, that people don't turn into goats. It, it, it just doesn't happen. And I hope that somewhere along the line, someone shared the truth with these police officers. Friends, the same thing. I mean, we might laugh at the superstition of it, but the fact is our neighbors are believing some really interesting stuff. And for us to truly be for them, we share Jesus with them, but we also share truth. We love them enough to share truth with them. Lastly, this morning, what does it mean to be holy? The third part of it is we are with the world, but not like the world. We are with the world. It means, friends, we are doing life together. I'm doing my life in, in proximity, in close proximity to those around me. I'm pursuing real, deep, meaningful relationships with my neighbors, with those around me, with those that I seek to love. I'm with them. You, you look at Jesus. He's, he's not just far removed. He was with the people, among the people. Verse 15 and 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you believe. And do this with gentleness and respect. I read that, friends, and I'm, the obvious fact is there, and it falls into the previous point. We are to share the reason of our hope. We are to share the gospel, the, the story of God in our lives and in this world with our neighbors. But what strikes, strikes me about this verse is 
just the proximity that Peter is calling us to live in. He is saying, listen, you've got to live in such close proximity with the people around you that, that they can actually observe your life. They, such close proximity that they know when you're going through a good time. They know when you go through trials and tough times. Nobody's going to ask you for the hope that you have. Just, you know, some random question by just bumping into, you know, into you in the street. No, it's when they observe your life, they can see you going through trials and tough times. And yet there's a smile on your face. Yet there's joy in your life. That, friends, that's when it makes the impact. So my whole point here is we need to live in close proximity. We need to in involve, invite people. We need to listen to their stories, have them listen to our stories, do life together, raise our kids together, go watch the Canucks lose together, just be together life together and so friends in concluding this morning we asked the question this morning how can i love my neighbors better how can i do a better job at loving my neighbors and the simple answer is be holy but what that means it means that i am in the world but not of the world which means my life just permeates with the kingdom of god it means that i am for the world although not always agreeing with the world which means that i'm caring i'm loving I'm showing it. I'm sharing Jesus with them, but I'm also with. It means that we are with the world, but not like the world. We are doing life together. We are pursuing deep and meaningful relationships. You see, friends, when we live these types of lives, then we are giving them a rose without cutting off the nose. Amen.